You are getting sleepy, very sleepy. Your CPAP mask is clamped tightly to your face. Right, my darling? Yes, dear. You will not toss and turn through the whooshing. You will not throw the mask. You will not dislodge the hose and blast air all about the bedroom. You will not wake me, your loving husband, who yearns for even a single night of uninterrupted slumber. Please. It's not working, Harold. People who struggle with CPAP have partners who struggle too. Luckily, now there's Inspire. Inspire treats the root cause of sleep apnea inside your body. While you sleep, Inspire keeps your airway clear so you can breathe normally and rest comfortably. No mask, no hose, just sleep. When I snap my fingers, you will remember to visit inspiresleep.com to learn more. Inspire, sleep apnea innovation. Inspire is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor to see if it's right for you and review important safety information at inspiresleep.com. Hi, this is Marissa Meyer. And this is Delaney. And this is Sloan. And you're listening to the Prince Kai Fan Pod. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 150th episode of the Prince Kai Fan Pod. I am your host, Beth Annie Finger, and today's special guest is our queen, Marissa. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I still find it weird to be called the queen. That <laughs> was weird. something. Ooh, who was it? I want to say it was Patreon Brittany. Someone correct me, but I want to say it was Patreon member Brittany who suggested we start the episodes with Captain is King, Marissa is Queen, and I am your host, Bethany. Oh, that's cute. That's cute. That's what we do now. (laughs) It's so funny. For the longest time, uh, people would comment, like, you know, just social media commenters would say, you know, you're my queen, my queen, my queen, blah, blah, blah. And for a long time, I, I truly thought that it was just like, one person and it kind of like creeped me out a little bit and it was like who is this person who keeps calling me their queen and it took me forever to realize oh no this is like a fandom thing like this is my my title amongst the fandom um so now I'm cool with it but it's still a little you know I don't know bow before me (laughs) I'm so used to being called queen um my husband my husband Quentin has called me his queen for like God, how long have we been married? Um, 10, 10 years, 11 years, something like that. Oh, that's um, funny. My yeah, he always says I'm the queen of his heart. Names for so. me are not nearly as complimentary. <laughs> I mean, they're cute. They're nothing like bad, but he has really silly nipples. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So first things first, we're going to do one question because I got an email um, from Kaylin Marco. So thank you for emailing me because I don't get enough emails. So every time I get one, I'm like, yes, I have to read this. I have to read this on an episode. I have to have input from other people. I need to know what's happening. Um, so her question was about Torin's background. She always pictured him with a widower and he was too loyal to his lost love to remarry another person. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on his background. If he has like a tragic backstory (laughs) um oh that's so funny so we were you and I were talking before we started recording um Mm -hmm. and I I don't really know I don't really know much about Torn's backstory I feel like I feel like the fans have created more backstory for him than I ever did um but that's interesting I mean yeah I think there's a possibility I don't know. I don't really know. I love that the fans can like run with it though, that we've given, that we've been given such permission from you that we can just have these outlandish theories out in the world. And I'm sure there's like fan fictions of it somewhere. I'm probably going to get emails of like fan fiction of it and that's fine. Yeah, Um, no. (laughs) And I love that too. Um, And I, I don't know, like I never felt like I had to have every question answered um mm-hmm. and you know in the writing of course a lot of things just like reveal themselves to me as I'm writing and as I'm getting to know the world and getting to know the characters but not all the questions like one of the biggest questions from the series is who is Cinder's dad and I think people think that I'm like intentionally withholding that information it's like no I just legitimately don't know I kept waiting for the story to tell me 
But it never did. I don't think Channery would know. I don't think Channery would care. Thank you. I think it is legit. <laughs> but like, yeah, we just simply don't know. Um, but at the same time, like I was open. I was open to the story filling in that hole for me. And it never did. And I didn't feel right forcing it. Like I try mm-hmm. not to, to force the story or the characters to like bend to my will. I must have an answer to this. I must you know, know what this character's backstory is if it's not relevant, if I don't need it to tell the story uh, and it doesn't come to me naturally, then then I, I don't always dig any deeper. I think that's what's fun about fan fiction is you get yeah. to fill in those blanks. We had, I had a special request for fan fiction and Sierra was very nice enough to write it for me. Cinder's speech from Winter, it's mentioned that she that Kai mostly wrote the whole speech. And I was like, I need to see a scene where Cinder is like scribbling on a piece of paper and Kai walks in and is like, would you please just let me do this? Like I'm trained diplomatically and you are not making, you cannot use, you cannot just constantly be like, Levon is sex. Like there are better ways to say <laughs> I love that. I love that. That would be a really cute, cute idea for a scene. I agree. It was wonderful. And I will say also, like, there have been things that, like, the fans have come up with or the fandom has created that has then gone on to influence what I am doing. Um, not Yay! Sure in, I mean, in Lunar Chronicles a little bit, like, with the when I was getting into the graphic novels, but mm-hmm. one of the biggest things that happens in Renegades was from a fan. So, actually, a couple big things that happened in Renegades um, came from the suggestions of fans. So... I've still got my fingers crossed for a Renegades graphic novel. <laughs> I know you do. And I have not written it off as a possible. <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> well, I know you mentioned that graphic novels take forever. So they do. They do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not for me. Like I love writing graphic novels in part because I can write them uh, rather quickly compared to mm-hmm. writing a full length novel. But then it gets handed off to an artist and it takes that process for ever so it's a little bit like I don't even remember what this story was about when I turned it in two years ago (laughs) I feel like that sometimes with story I read and absorb stories so quickly sometimes and I'll get someone who will message me what is I think it's light lark yeah I just recently read that I got the audiobook from NetGalley and I listened to it and then moved on and somebody messaged me immediately and was like did you like this part did you like this part like there's a lot of controversy about this book what did you think and I was like I don't I've already gotten like three books since then you're gonna have to give me (laughs) to like go back and I have to go back and try to remember which one was that right what are you talking about (laughs) okay so I know that everyone listening wants to talk about cursed so Cursed is the sequel, and it comes out November 8th, and you can pre-order it now. So uh, what can you tell us without giving away spoilers? Oh, gosh. Um, Okay, so Cursed is the sequel and conclusion to Gilded. And for people who haven't read Gilded yet, it is my retelling of Rumpelstiltskin that uh, follows a girl who has been cursed by the God of Lies, and... She starts to fall in love with a poltergeist, um, all while being threatened by the wicked Earl King, who is the leader of the Wild Hunt. And in Cursed, what can I tell you? It continues. What what doesn't start like right off um, immediately following the end of book one? I think maybe like a month or two has passed. And gosh, it is really hard talking about book second books or, or continuations because everything you say spoils something that happened in the first <laughs> book. Um, but I, oh, one detail that I'm really excited about uh, that I don't think is too spoilery um, is that in book one, we talk a lot about Gravenstone, which is the Earl King's original castle that is buried somewhere in this like dark enchanted forest and in book two we get to actually go to Gravenstone which I it's like one of my favorite settings that I've ever written and I had a lot of fun with it so that was exciting um there's a lot 
of twists, a lot of big reveals in this book, things that I really hope people will be very surprised by. Um, yeah, who else? The gods, the seven gods uh, play a larger role than they did in book one, and they were a lot of fun to play with. And yeah. <laughs> and it's exciting and romantic and dark and spooky and all the things. <laughs> I know Taylor will never forgive me if I don't ask, is there a ladle? There, you know, you are the second person who has asked me that in this last week. <laughs> I think it's hysterical. So we did this event last year gearing up for Gilded and I... Uh, told one of the original versions of Rumpelstiltskin. And mm-hmm. in this like totally random <laughs> version of the story, Rumpelstiltskin, when he gets really mad at the end, he like pulls out this huge kitchen ladle, this like soup ladle and hops onto it like a witch on a broomstick and flies <laughs> out the castle window and is never heard from again. And I think it is such a hilarious image um and ever since then people have been like what are you gonna do with the ladle you need to use the ladle somehow. um so I am delighted to let you know that yes there will be a ladle um it, it doesn't play a huge part like nobody's gonna be riding the ladle out of the castle window I'm sorry um but but there is a ladle and I was pretty tickled pink <laughs> by the use of the ladle. So I hope you guys get a kick out of it. You heard it here first, Renegade Anarchist. There is a ladle. <laughs> That's so funny how much we get so carried away with tiny little details like that, right? I know not to like give you more work because you do like two books a year, but <laughs> I think it would be really cute if there was like a collection of the stories that Cyrilda tells. Oh, that is a fun idea. Yeah. Yeah, there is. I don't know what we're going to do with it. So in Cursed, and I can't really tell you too much about it because it it comes pretty late in the book, um, but there is a more traditional fairy tale that is told. Um, and I would love to do something with that. Like, I don't know if we could like print it as a small picture book or I don't know. I mentioned to my publisher and they were like, we'll think about it. Um, (laughs) I don't know if they're going to do something with it or not, but I was really proud of this story and it really harks back to just like the classic grim fairy tales. So I'd love to do something with it. Who knows? We'll see. That would be so much fun. Yeah. I would, I know. My husband's not big on actual reading, so I read out loud to him. And whenever I was reading like those short stories out loud, he was always like, "See, I kind of, I kind of care a lot about that short story, though. Like, I want to go back to the short story. I feel like I'm distracted now." And I was like, "Don't focus on the short story. Focus on the plot. Focus on the <laughs> drama. Like, this is this is gothic and Germanic drama. Focus on that." <laughs> I like, though, that he's, like, really invested in that because it obviously it ends up playing a really huge part in the story. Yeah, he just really loves short stories, like, especially those, like, two-minute murder mysteries. He loves those. Oh, cute. Gosh, I haven't heard one of those in ages. I have, like, a whole book of them. <laughs> like, one of the, I think it's, like, a thousand and one short stories, and there's, like, a whole section on, like, two-minute murder mysteries. Oh, fun. I, huh. I wonder if my kids would like that. Yeah, well, if they're too dark, then, you know. But Well, they're not too dark, no. Most of them are really vague. One of them is about poison, and it's like you barely even realize that that's what's happening. <laughs> okay, right, right. Yeah, because we're at an age, and we're doing, like, mostly middle grade, but also, like, starting to read more of the classics. Like, we just started Black Beauty. Um, mm. And that's great, and they do a really good job of sitting and listening, uh, but there are some times when they're just so antsy and won't stop moving around, and you're like, I could really just go for like a really, let's just go grab a picture book right now right? <laughs> and read through something really fast. What about, um, have they read the Warrior books yet? No. So there's a series called The Warrior Books by Aaron Hunter, and there's like a bajillion spinoffs. And I am a children's librarian, and I can tell you that kids are obsessed with these books. It is about. Do they have like a cat on the cover? 
Yeah, this is about it's a series about a cat faction, and each faction is like fighting for control of this magical forest. And I don't know why, but I am telling you, kids are obsessed with these books. Absolutely, they're not bad. I've read them, but I'm also 32. But <laughs> the kids are just absolutely obsessed with these books, and they get so excited for a new one, and they reread them. They come back to it, and they're like, "I want to read that one a third time, or a fourth time, or a fifth time." So. If they get bored, I do highly recommend those ones. They're really, they're very interesting. Okay, I that I think that these would be right up their aisle. So I, I just wrote that, I wrote it down. We will check Yay! it out. I think that they would love it. You'll have to let me know if they do or if that's a really bad recommendation. No, <laughs> really, for Sloan especially, anything with cats is, that's Aww. like cats and horses. It's all she cares about. <laughs> Uh, when I was her age, I was obsessed with unicorns. Yeah, I mean that's a variety of horse, kind of, right? <laughs> yeah, I still have, I have a bunch of unicorns. I collect them. Um, my dad used to get me a unicorn like every Christmas, and he would always tell me the difference between a unicorn and a horse is a little magic and imagination. Aww, yeah. that's cute, right? So it's like no wonder I collected them. <laughs> okay, so. You keep telling everybody on your podcast that you have secret projects. Oh, so many secret projects. Can you give us like any tiny little clues or hints? Oh, gosh. Um, about which one? <laughs> Whichever one you're allowed to share secrets yeah, with. I mean, so I'm not like a great secret keeper. So things do kind of tumble out sometimes. And I'm like, I'm probably not supposed to talk about that. But too late. Um, <laughs> if it makes so, you feel better, this episode won't come out until September. So if yeah, it's going it's to be revealed sometime between now and September, it would still be a secret until then. Yeah, no, nothing will be announced <laughs> now and then. Um, let's see, what can we talk about? So the one that I've I've already mentioned a number of times, just in like speaking things, um, like speaking events and whatnot, uh, is that I do have a new graphic novel that is in the works, um, but I can't really give like a whole lot of information about it. And I love love this book. It is one of the books of my heart. It is something that I very much felt like I was writing it for young Marissa, um, which I don't really feel that way about everything. Like I felt this is, this is a story that is really near and dear to me. Um, and it's just a standalone uh, graphic novel. It's a, a romance story, but it also talks a lot about like body positivity and um, I don't really know that I can tell you anything more about it. We don't have a title for it yet. Um, but I wrote it. What is this? So it's been almost three years now since my publisher bought it and since I turned it in. And it's been just the illustrator that we found for it is amazing, but she was bogged down with other projects. So even though it's been like almost three years, I think she's just now getting started on it. And I'm like, please, please make my graphic novel because I'm so excited about it. I'm excited um, for it. I love graphic novels so much. Thank you. And it's I think it's going to be full color, um, which I'm oh, really that's exciting. I know it's going to be so pretty. I yeah, I know. I, I want to talk more about it. But anyway, so there's that. Um, I do have a couple of other ideas for graphic novels. Um, but those are in the really early stages right now. Um, I have a middle grade that I've been working on now for like two years. And it's it would be for a series and it would be for a fairly complicated series, like lots of overlapping storylines. And so that's why I haven't pitched it to my publisher yet, because I'm trying to have the entire series planned out before I take it to them so that I don't like write myself into any corners. Um, but I am almost to the point where I think I'm getting ready to send it to them. And uh, I, of course, I assume that they're going to buy it, but I've never written middle grade before. So it's kind of a, a nervous fingers crossed sort of thing. But I am really excited about those as well. Um, what about, have you ever considered writing any adult novels? Not really. Um, I shouldn't say never. I mean, I, 
years and years and years ago, I like tried my hand at some quote unquote chiclet, which what I guess would that be new adult these days? I think um, I think it's new adult, but I also like I don't know. I have issues with calling things a genre when it's yeah. I know. I know. Um, that's like a librarian thing, I think, because it's like that's a whole age group. There's like so many subgenres within an age group that it's like hard to to clarify that like an entire genre would just be like this age group. Because yeah. also, of course, I I am a prude, so like. As much as I love Julie Murphy, there are definitely some scenes I skip in that new Christmas book. (laughs) (laughs) I even messaged her and I was like, nobody told me this wasn't PG-13. Oh, that's funny. I have not read it yet. I have not read it. Although, honestly, that makes me want to go pick it up. (laughs) She's the best. And Sierra Simone, I think, was her co-author on that one. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think that new adult people associate it with having like above 18 year old um like rated r type content and in my experience it's more just that the main character isn't 17 they're like 20 or 25 or 30 or something mm-hmm. yeah i don't know <laughs> i don't it is it is funny with like putting the labels on things it's, it's almost mm-hmm. like you're intentionally excluding possible readers who feel like mm-hmm. they don't fall into that category so like why would you do that um but back then when i was but this was like back when i was in college and like devil wears prada had just come out and was like really popular and it was the other, like shopaholic and all of these quote unquote chiclet books were like the thing uh, so I kind of tried my hand at those. Um, but since then, I mean, not really. I've kind of always just fallen into this YA category and am quite happy here um, as a reader and as a writer. So, and even like I've had occasionally I'll get an idea for something that seems like it should be an adult. And my very first thought is, well, how could I make it YA? <laughs> Yeah, how can I transition? How can I adjust it so that it's a completely different age group? Yeah, I mostly read young adults, but there are a few new adult books that have really captured my attention. Something Blue by Emily Giffen. Mm -hmm. That's my my happy book. I love that book. A book about a woman who's 30 and is still like trying to get her stuff together and like coming of age at the age of 30 instead of like saving the world at 14. (laughs) I felt so seen the first time I read that book I was like oh okay so it's okay that I'm 27 and I don't have anything figured out because yeah. in this book she's 30 and she doesn't have anything figured out so it's fine yeah yeah which I think is like a fairly reasonable thing like who most people don't have their lives figured out by 30 I feel like I also got married really young and I um, I settled into that I was just like I had a job and I was happy and I had my marriage and I was happy and I like did not look outside that for the first like couple of years and then my ambition started like getting the better of me and I was like who wants a bachelor's degree I want a master's degree I want a doctorate I want a certification I wanted I want to speak at the American Library Association like I, I I get settled for like a year or two and then I'm like nope I got to find something to do. And then I jump into like several projects at once. Yeah. And yeah, no, I'm the same way. Um, and I think it's, I don't know, for people like us, I mean, it's just in our nature. Like you're never fully satisfied with anything, um, which is not the same thing as like being happy or like content. Like I love my life, but I mm-hmm. can't just sit still. There's always something else to be reaching for. Even right now while we're recording this, I'm crocheting a blanket for my <laughs> friend. <laughs> No wasted moments. (laughs) No, it's like even that's why I like audiobooks so much because it's like I have to go for a run. So here's a book. I have to go to the grocery store. So here's a book like me. I have to we just moved. So I have to unpack this entire house. Here's a book. Yeah. Yep. Which I I need because all of my bookshelves got broken during the move. So they're all just like stacked on a table right now. (laughs) Oh, that's tragic. I'm sorry. You'll love this, though. My husband was like, I have an idea I saw on Pinterest to build your bookshelves. And I was like, oh, cool, cool, cool. What is it? And he's like, it's on cinder blocks. And I was like, why Why would I want? No, I don't. He's like, it has the word cinder in it. You have to say yes. 
But he did he did find some really cool stuff on Pinterest, and I can see it, and it does look a lot nicer. In my brain, I was picturing, like, plywood and cinder block just, yeah, like, stacked on right, top of each right. other. And I was like, no. This is industrial. I was like, we have insurance for a reason. I'm just going to buy new bookshelves. <laughs> well, good luck. I just, I, I'm glad that you're going to get new bookshelves. <laughs> on the same page of being very busy people you are very busy you have the podcast you homeschool uh, you publish like what I think you mentioned on the podcast it was like what 15 books in the last like 10 years or yeah, something like cursed that. is number 16 that's insane so, so with all of that that you have going on what do you do to prioritize like self-care for yourself when you do need a break when you do need to rest what is something that you do that's like, this always makes me feel better. This always like regenerates me. Yeah. I mean, for me, self-care is uh, something that I take really seriously. I think it is incredibly important. Um, so I honestly, I mean, I just kind of schedule it like I schedule everything. Um, I went and got a massage yesterday. Um, and to me, like that is some, I try to get a massage every month. It doesn't happen every month, but I know that I feel great when I do it. So it's worth carving out that time to do it. Um, exercising, like trying to go for a run every other day or trying to do some yoga on the weekend or like whatever it is. But I even think of like, first of all, I love my job. I really enjoy writing. It's still something that all these years and all these books later, I just legitimately get a lot of joy out of writing. But it is a mind, uh, it's a perception thing. Like you have to be aware of the fact that you are doing something right now that you love to do. It's so easy to let it become work and to let it become drudgery and to feel like, oh, I have to go write these 2000 words. I would rather be doing X, Y, Z. You know, so I, I'm very conscientious of when I start to feel that way to pull back and be like, what can I do to get into the mood where I remember like, this is something that I enjoy doing. And maybe that's that I'm going to um, go right in bed for a couple hours, or maybe I'm going to go to my favorite cafe or go, you know, maybe I'm going to light a candle or put on some music or like, what can I do to remind myself that I'm doing something I really love. And for me, writing kind of becomes its own self care. Like it is my time to not be doing dishes, not be doing laundry. Um, yeah. So it's laundry is the worst. And they never end. Laundry and dishes. I hate them because they're always back. As soon as you're done, they just come back. I'm like, I don't mind like washing it and drying it. It's still like folding it and hanging it up part that like just annoys me for some reason. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. But no, but I do I do take self-care really seriously. I think it's super important to be kind to yourself, to be good to yourself, to be aware of your own personal needs. And like, I think that you can't take care of other people if you're not taking care of yourself first. So I I think it's really important. I think that's very well said. I personally love Christmas movies. Me too. I do too. Absolutely. And if it's a, if it's a Christmas rom-com with Vanessa Hudgens, trust me, I've seen it. No, I love, I love, and I love going to the movie theater. Like, this is one of my rituals where whenever I'm, like, really not feeling it, like, I'm really stressed out or overwhelmed or, like, just need a break, then I treat myself by going to the movie theater all by myself. And I go at, like, an 11 o'clock matinee to some movie that's been out for two months. And so I'm, like, the only person in the theater, and it's the best. I did that a few times, especially because my husband and I don't watch the same movie. So we'll like find a movie that's on at the same time. We'll both get our popcorn and we'll go our separate ways. <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't gone to a movie in a really long time. Um, I, re- I can't. I think the last movie I saw was before the pandemic. My friend Amy and I saw Little Women. and It was magnificent. I Ooh, that was a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was the last time I went to a theater. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. When you save on auto insurance for driving safe with USAA SafePilot, you'll feel like a big deal. 
even in a traffic jam. Save up to 30% with USAA SafePilot. Restrictions apply. What have I seen lately? As a family, we went and saw the Elvis movie. Um, was it good? It was good. Sad. I mean, a terrible story. The Elvis story yeah. is really tragic. Um, but 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 it was good. It was really well acted and yeah, really well done. Baz Luhrmann, I mean, is just incredible. <laughs> I just love <laughs> what he does. This is probably going to sound really weird, but <laughs> I love Starbucks coffee, but I do have a relatively strict health diet, so I don't get it a lot because it has sugar. What I like to get is the frozen espresso. It's delicious. Mm. But it's literally like three shots of espresso, and I can't have that much caffeine. (laughs) (laughs) But like my husband and I, what we'll do is we'll go, and we'll get a giant coffee, and he'll go to Home Depot, and I'll go to Target, and we'll just walk around. like, And I'll just like put on a good book or a podcast, and I won't even necessarily buy anything. I'll just walk around Target and like, like just – Cause I don't know what it is about Target. I was talking to my friend Alex about this yesterday. Like, I don't know what it is about Target, but there's something like very chill about just walking yeah. around Target. I don't understand. I can't explain it, but yeah. yeah. No, I think that, that I am not, I don't enjoy shopping um, like at all. <laughs> so that would not really be for me, but as stores go, I, I don't dislike going to Target. So, I just like grocery shopping just because I feel like it's a never ending like checking of labels and ingredients. And <laughs> yeah, no, I do a lot of that too. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But my husband recently read some article about dog food. And so now we're like obsessed with what the dogs eat. And they're getting mm-hmm. like to the point where now I'm like boiling chicken and vegetables for them every day because the stuff they put in dog food is really bad, you guys. <laughs> Oh, how interesting. I know I can get trapped in the cat food section and our cats are old and so they've got like digestive issues and mm-hmm. so just trying to like, I don't know, there's 8 million different types of cat food and trying to figure out which one you should get is a headache and I can Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize our dogs were getting old, but they are and Scamp had a pancreatitis. So that's why we started looking into like what dog foods they eat. And now we decided for him boiled chicken. And I was like, I can't like, as a good mom, I can't like give scamp boiled chicken and then be like, hey, Beowulf, here's some kibble. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but Beowulf is like twice his size. So, and Beowulf runs with me. So he gets a lot more energy out. So Beowulf actually does get more chicken than scamp. <laughs> But I, I didn't realize they were getting old. I mean, we've had them since we got married, and we've been married a really long time. Yeah. But Beowulf is actually starting to get raccoon eyes. His fur is all black, and the white fur on his face is starting to form little circles around oh, his eyes. Oh, interesting. And that's huh. like a sign that they're in their geriatric phase, which yeah. is like, – it makes me so sad. I just yeah. want him to live forever. Yeah. No, I know. I know it's tough. Pets are, like, one of those things, like, growing up, we always had pets. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how I got through it as a kid because, like, as an adult, like, the thought of not having my dogs, I'm like, nope, I don't even want to go down that road. Like, nope, just pretend it doesn't happen. It's fine. And my husband's like, well, we'll just get another dog. And I'm like, I don't want to talk about this. I can't Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Have you guys ever thought about getting a dog? I know you said you have cats. I am not a dog person. This is one of my, my personal great character flaws. I do not really <laughs> like dogs that much. You would probably like scamp them because he is like 98% cat. All right. Maybe so. Yeah. <laughs> including, including like there are definitely moments of indifference where he's like, yeah, you don't need to be in my personal space right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, because that is one of the things about dogs that I don't care for is how they're just like, desperate for attention all the time yeah. <laughs> get away you from definitely me. <laughs> not like Beowulf then because he is super needy like even right now he's laying he's laying on top of my feet yeah. um and he follows me everywhere and he gets very upset whenever I like leave to go to work or something so yeah not Beowulf but you would probably like scamp 
Okay. <laughs> Scamp and I will be besties. <laughs> yeah. Well, Scamp also really likes kids. So, like, just let him babysit. <laughs> yeah. No, and the girls, I mean, they love dogs. They love all animals. Um, and they're, so we live, we call it the compound. Uh, so we've got my sister-in-law lives right next door with her dog. My in-laws live right across from her with their dog and chickens and cats and bunny rabbits. Uh, and then my husband's cousin lives right next door on the other side, and his mom lives um, about half a block away. So everybody, we've got lots of family, and they have plenty of dogs and animals of all right. varieties. So, like, they're not missing out on anything. <laughs> That's so funny. Like, the word compound made me think of, like, apocalypse or something. Yeah, no, um, it does. It has a cultist vibe, but honestly, it's kind of – there's no other way to describe it. But it's, it's great because – being so close to your neighbors and obviously the support system just in raising children is a huge benefit. Um, But then it's so nice to be like, Oh, I need another cake pan. And then you just walk next door and get another cake pan or like whatever you need. Somebody's got it. I will say that's one of the benefits of military families is that everyone is used to moving around a lot. So anytime you move into a neighborhood that has like right now, because of my husband's job, we have to live on base. So we're in like the base satellite housing. So everyone here is also military and they know what it's like to move. Yesterday, our neighbors brought over like a little lemon loaf cake uh, to like welcome us to the neighborhood. And she had this like handmade card with like little cricket cutouts and stuff. It was very sweet. So now I need to make cookies for her. But yeah, being in a military family, like it's very hard to make lasting friendships. That's why I'm so grateful for the internet. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. It's important. Excuse me. It's important to have a community, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I didn't don't really remember having that when I was a kid. Like, we lived on just a rural residential street, and I guess I played with some neighbor kids, but we weren't like having neighborhood cookouts or like there wasn't really a community. I never really knew the neighbors. Um, and and same with my parents and. So such a totally different situation now. And it's just so, so nice to have people that you can kind of rely on if you need something and yeah, feel connected to the world. Yeah, I love that. When I was growing up, my dad's family lived pretty close. So I had like cousins and aunts and uncles and a surrogate grandmother, like my cousin's mom's grandmother, Nancy. I was actually closer to her than I was um, my step-grandmother. I spent mm-hmm. like every Sunday at her house playing with, I don't know, I think I'm too old for most listeners to know what this is, but back in the day, they had these this weird toy that I was obsessed with where it was a Barbie doll and it was on a flat sheet and you could put cloth over it and fold down the top and it would change the Barbie doll's outfit. And oh, could, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I had one of those. I don't remember what it's called, but I was, like, obsessed with that. And she, Nancy had it at her house, so I was, like, always going to her house so I could play with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had anything that was fashion design. I spent many years thinking I was going to be a fashion designer, which is hilarious now because I don't really like clothes that much. And as we just <laughs> I don't like to shop. Like, it's – so I don't know. But for some reason, for there was a, a time in my childhood when I thought, oh, I'm going to be a fashion designer – a singer. Yeah, I also went through like a Broadway. I wanted to be on Broadway. That was a thing. Yeah. Um, but I had this toy that was like a light box. And then there was fashion plates that you would like sketch onto the little drawing of the girl. And I played with that more than any other toy in my childhood for hours and hours and hours was designing clothes. I don't, I didn't do that, but I definitely, there was a very long time where I was like, I'm going to be a singer. Mm-hmm. I think I was 21. I think I was 21 when someone was finally like, you know, you can't actually sing. No, I was going to ask, can you carry a tune? Like how close was this as a possibility? <laughs> I'm trained. Like technically I, I know how to sing. Like I can match pitch and play the piano and stuff like that, but no, I can't sing. But when you're a kid, people tell you you can do stuff, right? Like yeah. you get done at choir and everybody's like, you did such a good job. You have the voice of an angel. And then you get to junior high and they don't want to ruin your spirit. So they keep saying it. And then I'm in my 20s, like playing at bars and coffee shops before someone was, I think it was my husband was the first one to be like, I love you, but um, you should really have like a fallback plan. <laughs> 
And I was always like writing music. Like I have books and books and books filled with like 14 year old Bethany's like energetic emo style music that I wrote like just nothing but like the ranting and ravings of a 13 year old who's misunderstood so I have like all these books filled with song lyrics that don't work like luckily I kept them though because um one of the projects I'm working on right now one of the characters writes poetry and I was like god I haven't written poetry in forever is there anything I can like recycle from when I was a teenager and has there been uh there was a couple yeah yeah no I wrote a ton of poetry and yeah I, I, it's painful for me to look back at it. And I actually, I self-published a book uh, when I was like 16 and was like in fandom, I was writing fan fiction. And so I actually had it available to purchase. You know, we printed like a hundred copies and maybe like 50 or 60 copies got sold to my fan, fan fiction readers. And every once in a blue moon, someone will come to one of my signings with that book of poetry. And I'm like, oh, God, (laughs) don't show anybody. Hide it. (laughs) Do you have any left hidden somewhere? Can I buy one? (laughs) Oh, I mean, I have my one single copy that I can I can see it here on my bookshelf. Um, That's so cool. But no, I don't think I have any more other than that. Just the one. I, every time I th- I look into self-publishing, one of my author friends will talk me out of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much work. I mean, it's way different now than it was. I mean, gosh, this was 20 years ago. Um, and it's like a totally different different experience. But it's it's so much work. I think people don't give self-published authors enough credit just for the sheer right? amount of work that it is to go through the entire you know, the editing process, the uploading, the formatting, the design, the marketing it is it's a full time job. It's amazing. Audio books. That's a yeah. big one. You have to like, you have to find a narrator and you have to write your own contract and then like hash out all the details of the contract. And like, yeah, it just looks, I'm like, I'll just, you know, I'm, I'll just keep up with my long list of rejection letters in my email box. Actually, actually, I think I'm done with this project. I, I think a year of querying is enough. I'm going to start querying the next, because I have like three projects that I've written and I've only been querying one of them. So I'm probably going to start cycling through the other ones. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's funny. Um, We just recorded a episode of Happy Writer that's all about query letters Um, that's going to go up next week. Um, but that was one question we got was like, how do you know when it's time to move on? And um, I think we, the consensus we came to was like, either you've exhausted all possibilities and it just hasn't gone anywhere or you're ready to start querying the next thing. Um, and yeah. I think that that's, you know, you should always be working on the next thing and always be, have something coming up that you're excited about and you're in love with. And I think it's important to remember that just cause you're, Putting one book on the back burner does not mean you're saying goodbye forever. Like it it could come a time when you can pull it off and be like, hey, agent, look what I also have. (laughs) You never know. I had a I had an idea. I wrote a short story not too long ago and I had an idea and I emailed like every author I knew. And I had so many people that were like, yes, I would love to do this. Let me talk to my literary agent. And then they would get back to me and they were like, sweetie, you have to have an agent. Go get an agent. I want to do this project, but like my agent won't do it unless you have representation. And I'm like, but is it like worth it to like, is it like worth it to like push this, this short story anthology idea out? Cause I don't know how to do that. And then I think it was our or maybe, oh no, it was Christy Boyce. Christy Boyce was like, just find a way to make this so I can be a part of it. Cause I already had an idea and I was like, okay, okay, okay. So now I'm starting to query for that short story with like the concept of an anthology, which is really hard to query for an anthology. Yeah, like, no, that is really unique. I'm curious to hear how it goes. I will, I will let you know if anybody ever decides to, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> if yeah. anybody ever decides to make it for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anthologies are, they're a tough, regardless, you know, there, mm-hmm. there's just not a huge market for them. Um, and I, I am dying to know how serendipity is doing. Cause I don't follow sales at all. And so oh. it's always a surprise for me whenever like the royalty statement shows up. Um, but that should be coming 
soon. So I'm really curious to see how it's been doing because I know that anthologies are just kind of their own beast. Yeah. Do you pay attention to reviews and stuff? Like, do you ever go on Goodreads and be like, how are my readers enjoying no, this book? No. Is it like too intimidating? Um, I don't know if I would use the word intimidating. It's distracting. Um, it's mm-hmm. like, Good word. you know, if you see a great review, then there's pressure to like, please that reader. Like, but uh, what will they think of my next book? What if they don't? like what I have planned for the rest of the series or, oh no, they really loved this character, but I was planning on killing that character off in the next book. <laughs> like it just can mess with your head. That's and a good then point. of course, alternative, alternatively, if you read a negative review, well, that can just sink everything. Um, and uh, you know, you can, I mean, it can ruin your day. It can make you not want to write for days potentially depending on you know what the review said and I don't know I just don't think that's healthy so yeah I avoid them not on the same page but I know I'm a big Swifty and I know Taylor once said in an interview that um it can be really hard if you read too many reviews because then there's this kind of pressure to top yourself with that every next project has to be Mm -hmm. better than the last one or has to be like at least as good as the next one and I know that she's obviously talking about like albums and sales and stuff, but I think that that could apply to yeah. pretty much any career like this, where you're putting yourself out there to um, a position where you are going to get reviewed. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think that there's a ton of overlap and it's hard. I, I don't know. I mean, it's not hard for me anymore because I just haven't looked at reviews for such a long time, but it was difficult in the beginning to kind of resist the urge to go and see what people are saying, but I just don't think any good comes of it. Like I, I know that with every book I do the best that I can and I have written the best thing that I feel like I'm capable of writing and you put it out in the world and then you just hope that it will find the readers who are going to love it and who are going to connect with it and respond to it really positively But you also have to know that that's not going to be every reader. Um, It's not, this book is not going to be for everybody. There are going to be people who hate it, who think it's whatever cheesy, or they didn't like the decisions this author made because of X, Y, Z. And it's just not going to be for everyone. And so I don't know. I just don't see any benefit from uh, hearing, you know, from the people who didn't like it because clearly it, it wasn't for them. And that's okay. And it's okay for it not to be for them. The only thing I have gotten feedback on writing wise, other than like from critique partners and like what I've mostly gotten feedback on is my academic contributions. And I feel like that the only time that I get a little like butthurt for lack of better word. Yeah, right. Is if I'm like really passionate about something and somebody else just doesn't see that like is it two years ago? Two or three years ago, I was very lucky. I got to be a part of an American Library Association symposium, and I did a presentation on the importance of graphic novels and graphic novel literature. And I had so much information, and I wrote this big article, and I had these beautiful posters, and I had all this research and development, and I got to the end, and nobody had any questions for me. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. I was the first person to go. And like 11 people went after me and everybody had questions for all of them. Hmm. So the whole time I was sitting there, I was just like, was mine that bad that like nobody had any questions? And then like we got to, I think it was two days later that they announced the winners and I won. And I was like, I even told my director, I was like, I thought for sure that I like bombed that whole thing because nobody asked me a single question. And she's like, because you presented all the information, nobody had any questions. Yeah, right. And I was like, oh, okay. But like, when you're in that moment, you're not thinking about it in that way. Like I was thinking that whatever I had done wasn't compelling enough or that maybe my passion didn't seep through enough that they were interested. Like maybe they were bored on their phones the whole time. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can't, I can't understand. Well, can I understand it? I don't know. I I get really frustrated. I'm similar to you. Like I want stories and ideas to be accessible. And Mm -hmm. if a kid only wants to read comics, then let him or her only read comics. Like that is totally fine. Um, And 
yeah, the the audiobook thing, like that, that's mind boggling to me. You know, to me it's like, okay, so then, I mean, is if a parent reads books to their children, is that not reading? Like, right. are the children not receiving this information? Is it not developing their brains? Like, really, what is the argument you're trying to make here? <laughs> The big one for graphic novels, and if you're if you're a parent or a teacher and you're listening to this and you're like, who cares about graphic novels? I have so much data and research. Please email me, bethanyfinger at gmail.com. Um, but the major one was there was a Harvard study from 2017 that did a lot of development and research with actual literacy programs in, in, in improving not just reading, but reading comprehension. And children who read comic books and graphic novels are actually absorbing the story three times more than if they were just reading the text because they have to read the text and the narration and the dialogue. And they also have to read based on all of the images and pictures. And then they have to combine all of those elements to tell the full and complete story. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons where it's like, how is this not real literature if it's more engaging and more challenging? Yeah. And I also think that people lose sight of like, what is the point of stories? And is the point point of a story to decode words on a page? Mm -hmm. Or is the point of a story to hear the themes and explore the world with these characters and see through someone else's perspective and go on an adventure or be introduced to new ideas like what is your what are you actually trying to accomplish here I think there's also a gap in literature Mm -hmm. there needs to be something in the middle between picture books and chapter books and that's where I think graphic novels and comic books um have such a huge impact on young readers yeah yeah no I mean honestly this is one of my I mean there's lots of reasons that we have decided to continue homeschooling but one Mm -hmm. of the biggest reasons for me is because I have seen firsthand too many children who are told you have to read Call of the Wild and after that you have to read I don't even know Romeo and Juliet like whatever like obviously the school system decides here are the books that you must read yeah and this turns off so many kids from reading it makes them hate books when they are being forced to read things that they have no interest in and of course it is so important to me to raise children who love books and love stories and I really have a lot of concerns about the way that we do it in schools you know, yes, I think literature is important. And I think giving kids background knowledge and giving them access to great literature is great. But if you just force things, force them to read things that that they don't love and that they're not excited about, then I think that it has really negative uh, results a lot of the time. I think I would agree with that. I know that like my husband likes reading now. Which I can thank you for. I made him listen to Cinder on audiobook, and now he loves audiobooks. So actually, I could probably thank Rebecca, too, because she is an incredibly talented narrator. She is so great. So great. But he, growing up, his parents and my parents like to joke about this so much, because growing up, like, when he was grounded, they would take away, like, video games and the TV, and they would be like, well, you can read a book. And so he started associating books as, like, a negative alternative to the stuff that he actually wanted to do right yeah my dad likes to tell the story of when I was 12 and the new Harry Potter book came out and they took away my library card right (laughs) they caught me reading at two o'clock in the morning on a school night um well what happened was my bedroom was under a street light so I could sit in my window and read all night and no one ever knew I'd been doing it for years and then my dad started working the night shift at the hospital and I was so dumb. I didn't even put two and two together. He like pulled right up and I didn't even notice the car. I just kept reading. And he like knocked on the door and came in and he was like, do you have anything to say for yourself? And I was like, can I finish the chapter? And he was like, okay, but tomorrow the library card is mine for at least a week. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. That's so funny. Yeah. I feel like we've been talking a while and I know you have a lot to do. Well, the day that we're recording this, there's a big Fierce Reads 
um, curse online event that I'm excited for. Yay! It will be so far in the past by this time this episode comes out, but I'm so excited. I'm excited to see people tonight. Do you have anything you want to say before we sign off for the day? Ah, no. Congratulations, 150 episodes. It's amazing. Ah. I can't believe we're at 150. I almost quit the podcast like around the 30th episode, I think. So it's kind of amazing that we made it this far. Yeah, yeah. No, it is hard. I mean, doing The Happy Writer, I love it, but I, there are, it's not uncommon for me to have the thought of like, there's a lot of my hours going into this that could be spent doing other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really is, uh, you have to weigh the pros and cons constantly. Um, and so far, I've still found it to be worthwhile, and I do enjoy doing it, uh, but it is it is a commitment for sure. For me, it's editing. Like, I put off editing too long. Me too. <laughs> no, our episodes go up on Mondays. I almost always am editing it on Sunday. Like, I'm like, oh, fine, I'll do it. <laughs> well, and I give it to my Patreon people early. Like, it's one of the perks. Mm-hmm. You know, editing, I think it takes me, like, probably, like, 1.5 the amount of time spent recording the length of the episode Uh, yeah exactly yeah no and that's that's about the same for me um and for a while because I know you tend to record pretty long episodes and for a while this is gonna take like all afternoon um yeah and my episodes were were starting to get to where they'd be close to an hour and so the last couple months I've really scaled back and like 45 minutes is the cutoff because I do not have time to edit for any longer than that the editing and the prepping because I only have to do a couple chapters per episode Mm, yeah 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 for me it's reading the book you know I try to read well I don't try I do read every book um that we have on the podcast and that's a book a week and I can get so backed up and so behind on reading sometimes but but it's also like but I would be reading anyway so it's hard to like count that as extra time because I'm going to be reading something. Might as well be reading something for the podcast. And this is where I'm going to recommend audiobooks. <laughs> oh, I do. Oh, don't get me wrong. But a lot of times for the happy writer, we are um, interviewing authors before the book has come out. Yeah, so there's no audiobook yet. Yeah, yeah. But if it's like a series, um, like I have Jennifer Lynn Barnes coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, so I've been listening to the first two books of hers on audio. So I, I will do that a lot. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Okay. So before we sign off, I recently started, what are you reading? Since there's weeks in between episodes and this doesn't come out for a while, I don't know how relevant all of this will be, (laughs) but since the last recording I did, I have read A Beast and Beauty, which is a gender... Is it called Bent? Gender Bent? Mm-hmm. Beauty and the Beast Retelling by Stacey J. I think it was called A Little Meat Cute. A Merry Little Meat Cute, yeah, by Julie Murphy and Sierra Simone. I read Long Story Short by Serena Kaler. I finished the Court of Thorns and Roses series, which I have lots of opinions on. It was very dramatic. It was a bit much for me, to be honest. I finally finished Ransom's series, the Miss Peregrine series. It was phenomenal. I read Sweet Talk and Call Me Maybe by Cara Bastone. I read Light Lark by Alex Astor. Rumpelstiltskin by K.M. Shea. Hungry Ghost by Victoria Ying. I reread Tiger Queen by Annie Sullivan. And I did an episode on Interstellar Cinderella by Deborah Underwood. Hmm. We have that book. It's read like a ton of books. How much time? So a lot of it is audiobooks because we are moving. So I'm doing a ton of unpacking. Um, I also recently, I finally got some good health news. I can go back to running and exercising. So I've gotten back into running. Mm-hmm. So that's more audiobooks for me. But I also started listening at like 2.25 speed. So I am getting through audiobooks like super duper fast. Wow. No, that is fast. I'm usually at like 1.4, 1.5. Anything higher than that, I'm like, that sounds like a chipmunk. I can't take it. (laughs) Sometimes I have to like reel it back and I can't do it, but sometimes it makes it so much better. Like um, the Miss Peregrine series by Ransom Riggs is actually, it's pretty intense. There's some pretty scary stuff going on, especially Mm -hmm. in the last couple of books. 
So the higher, the faster speed was actually great for the tone of the book. Like it actually made it more um, intense while, while enjoying the experience. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so how many days, like this, this book, list of books that you just read, how much yes. time did that take you? Uh, so the last time I recorded was 11 days ago. Okay. That's a lot. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well and also, um, you're welcome, uh, world. Quentin and I have been working very hard in the evenings to save the universe from a zombie apocalypse. And as I said, I can't do one thing at once. So while we play this video game, I also have audiobooks playing in the background. <laughs> I love that. Oh my gosh, I love that. He's like, are we still listening to that Christmas one? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got two chapters left. Like, <laughs> How will we know if it gets becomes a happy Christmas or not? <laughs> Right? Jesse's that way when we watch Hallmark movies. Like, he becomes even more invested than I am. <laughs> so, so adorable. <laughs> I really love Christmas movies so much, especially the Netflix ones are really good. They are. They are. They are bringing it for sure. Yeah. Princess Switch and A Christmas Prince. Like, I have to watch those at least once a year. Those are the Christmas Prince are one of Sloane's favorite movies from the yeah. time. I mean, wish she was like four when they started coming out. And even maybe <laughs> younger. Um, but the first one we watched was the baby one. And she was just like engrossed. Oh, my gosh. It was so cute. And so even now she's every Christmas, we have to watch the Christmas Prince. <laughs> I think there is something genuinely comforting about knowing that it is going to end happily ever after. Yeah. Because in YA, that is not always guaranteed. <laughs> That's true. But it's part of the reason that the romance genre is continues to be such a powerhouse in publishing. Yeah, like, absolutely. Clearly, it's doing something right. And I know I've probably mentioned this to you before, but like Instant Karma was the most fun that I've like ever had writing one of my books, um, just because it is just a romance story. It was really, yeah. really fun. Also, Prudence is like the parts of my personality that I yeah. don't like that definitely are there. Yeah. 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 That's, I feel the same about her so much me, but like in a way that I'm almost embarrassed about. <laughs> yeah. There are definitely times where I'm like, man, 16 year old Bethany probably said the same thing. Right. I know. I know. <laughs> we've come so far. We've grown. We've learned. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for being here. I always enjoy talking to you. Lovely to talk to you as well. Congratulations on Cursed coming out in a couple of months. Very exciting. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Congratulations again. And uh, hello, listeners. I hope you all enjoy Cursed. So you can pre-order Cursed right now by going to your local indie, your favorite local indie bookstore. And remember, if you do not have one, you can go to the Prince Kai Fan Pod website or bookshop.org and support some of my favorite locals like Southern Bound Bookshop, where I used to work. And yeah, until next time, keep reading and keep listening. And I really hope everybody likes Cursed. <laughs> Stay tuned for a sneak peek at Cursed by Marissa Meyer out November 8th. Hi, I'm Marissa Meyer, and today I am going to be reading the prologue to Cursed. Cursed is my new novel. It is coming out this November, and it is the sequel to Gilded. I hope you'll enjoy. Be still now, and I will tell you a tale. It begins deep within Verloren, the land of the lost. From the time the first humans were buried in deep, fertile earth, or sent out to sea on burning pyres, their souls have been guided into Verloren by the eternal lantern of Velos, the god of wisdom and death. Taken to rest and to dream, and once a year, beneath the morning moon, to return as spirits to the mortal realm and spend one night in the company of their loved ones left behind. No, no, of course that does not happen anymore. This was a very long time ago. Hush now and listen. Though Velos has always been the ruler of the underworld, there was a time when the god was not alone. Monsters roamed the dark kingdom, and spirits filled the caverns with laughter and song. And then there were the demons. Wicked beings, the embodiment of all things foul and cruel, made of mortal sin and shame. When humans passed through the gates into Verloren, these despairs drained out of them, step by step, staining the bridge that connected our world to the next, 
and dripping into the river beneath. It was from these poisoned waters that the demons were born, flesh and beauty, crafted from the regrets and secrets and selfish deeds that mortals carried with them after death. Today, we call these demons the Dark Ones. Their numbers swelled as centuries passed, and with time, the Dark Ones grew restless. They yearned for independence, thirsted for a life beyond the shimmering caves and misted swamps of Verloren. They went to Velos and asked to be allowed to travel forth into the mortal realm, to gaze upon the constellations of stars, to taste a salty wind on their tongues, to feel the press of warm sunlight on their ice-cold skin. But Velos ignored such pleas, for even gods can be foolish. Or perhaps it was not foolishness, but cruelty, for the god to keep the demons thus imprisoned century after century. Or perhaps it was wise, for having been born of wickedness, the demons were capable of nothing but envy, brutality, and deception. Perhaps the god already knew the truth. There was no place for these creatures among humans, who, despite their many faults, had also shown that they could lead lives full of goodness and grace. The Dark Ones stopped asking for freedom, and instead, clever things, they waited. Hundreds of years they waited, watching and listening and planning. Until one morning noon, when the sky was so thick with clouds, the moon's swell was shrouded from view. While Velos held their lantern aloft at the gate, showing the lost souls the way to return to the world above, the Dark Ones suddenly surged forward. They cut through the throngs of waiting spirits, slaughtered what beasts tried to stop them. They were prepared for the hellhounds, Velos' beloved servants, having cut strips of their own body's flesh to lure the hounds to their side. It worked. With the hounds placated and the god unprepared, the demons overtook the bridge. In a desperate attempt to stop the horde, Velos shifted into their beastly form the great black wolf that even today is said to guard Verloren's gates. The beast was as big as a house, with fur-like ink, massive protruding fangs, and twin stars like burning flames buried deep in each eye socket. But the Dark Ones were not frightened. The one who would become Arconic, the Alder King, lifted a bow that he himself had crafted from the bones of heroes and the ligaments of warriors. From his quiver, he took an arrow, its fleshing made from the fingernails of dead children, its head cut from the hardened tears of their mothers. The demon knocked the arrow into place, took his aim, and let it fly, straight into the heart of the god of death. The wolf roared and stumbled from the bridge, down into the depths of the thrashing river below. Where Velos fell, the arrow that had pierced their heart stuck deep into the riverbed where it would take root, where it would grow, pushing past the bridge and through the grates, a great alder tree that would never stop reaching for the sky. The Prince Kai Fan Pod is hosted and produced by Bethany Finger, and today's special guest was author Marissa Meyer. The passage read for you today was from her new book, Curse, out November 8th. The intro-outro music was composed by Emma Pavo, and the logo art was created by Sunlit Tangles on Instagram. Thank you for listening.